Praise the Lord, and I want to welcome you to this special time of study today. Uh, it's always a great joy to be able to come into your hearts and homes and your lives and share with you the Word of God. I mean, it's just, it's a real privilege and an honor, and it's not one that, that I personally or we here at the ministry take lightly. God has has blessed us with tremendous growth in outreach ministries that we're involved with uh, over the past couple of years. And yet I know, I know that without the touch of the Holy Spirit, uh, we would not be able to accomplish anything of any value at all for the Lord. And so we do pray for you, our friends and our listeners and our financial partners that support this work on an ongoing basis. We pray that the Holy Spirit will anoint that which we do, that it might be a blessing in your life. And this lesson today, this particular time, uh, I feel that God would have me to speak to you about the cross. There's many things that we could talk about, and, uh, and they would be very good. But I especially like to preach and teach and, and share about the great cross of Christ. On the cross, he paid the sin debt, and he broke the sin grip over humanity. It was the double curse and the double cure provided for at Calvary. When you think of it, when you think of the price that Jesus really paid for us, it's so totally wonderful and magnificent that sometimes our minds really cannot quite comprehend all that he has done. So as we move into this today, I would just pray that it would bless you, that it would challenge you, that it would encourage you to look to the cross of Christ in your everyday lives in order to live a life of victory, in order to live the life that God has called us to live. We must put our faith and our confidence and our trust in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer for you today. Father, I do humbly ask you today that you would pour forth your anointing upon this work, upon this effort of presenting this lesson on the cross. And God, touch the hearts and the lives of the people. Help us to see, Father, today not only what Jesus did for us, Lord, but how tremendously grateful that we need to be. Lord, help us to see our victory. Help us to see that it lies in the power of the cross. And, and give us that revelation today, Lord. And we do all things to the uplifting of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we ask a great blessing upon our people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. When you begin to understand that Jesus, you know, he could have chosen another route. When you read the gospel and you see the tremendous power that this man had invested in him by the Father, 
You see the tremendous miracles that he performed, the deliverances, the casting out of devils, the opening of the blinded eyes, the raising of the dead. Jesus, had he chosen, could have been a very popular, and when I use that word, he was popular with some, but he was not popular with the religious leaders. In fact, is he was hated by the religious leaders. But he could have been very popular had he elected to go a different route other than Calvary. Look at his ministry. He fed the hungry. He took just a small piece of bread and he blessed it and he gave thanks and he broke it and he fed a multitude. When everyone was finished eating that day, there were basketfuls left over. If you think of the magnitude of what we're speaking. No other man had ever done that. Jesus walked on the tempestuous waves and waters of the sea. Christ did. He touched the eyes of the blind and they were instantly opened. He spoke to Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, and called him out of the grave. Hallelujah. I mean, when Jesus spoke, the dead came to life. When Jesus spoke, blinded eyes were opened instantly. When Jesus spoke, Water was turned into wine. Hallelujah to God. Think of the, the mighty power. Jesus had all the qualities that men idolize. He was a carpenter's son. He knew a trade. He came from the peasantry. He rose up from the masses just like many other popular leaders have done before and after him. And Jesus did not lack leadership skills. At his very command, strong, powerful men left their successful businesses to follow him. Jesus had organizational abilities. He delegated responsibility and he delegated authority to his disciples. He divided his followers into two-man evangelistic teams and sent them forth. And when the crowds were hungry, he instructed that they be divided into certain companies. Groups of 50, I think it was, and saw that every person was fed. Jesus was brave. He faced a wild, demon-possessed maniac, possessed with over 2,000 devils, and he never batted an eye or backed up one single time in fear. Jesus was brave. When Herod promised to capture him, Jesus called him a fox. 
Jesus vowed that he would go right on with his ministry. He was brave. He was no coward. Jesus Christ wasn't. He had no fear. He was a just man. Thirty-three and a half years, never sinned one time. Don't you think that would cause some people to to want something that he had? He was a man of the ages. It seemed that he would be the perfect one to lead the most popular movement of all of history, and in effect, he has. After all of these years, you know, this is how I know that Jesus isn't still in that tomb. Because a dead man cannot command the respect that Christ has commanded all of these years later. But that movement, that, that popular movement, it's popular to we who are saved, but it's unpopular to the world. And the victory and the glory and the power did not come without a price being paid, and that price was Calvary. Never forget that. The gospel is free, but it isn't cheap. I want to say that again. The gospel is free, but it is not cheap. It cost God everything he had as Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. Jesus was rejected. He was denounced. He was rebuffed. He was refused. He was repressed. He was restrained. He was reproached and repudiated. Why? Now, now ask yourself that question. The mightiest miracle worker, the mightiest man of power that the world had ever known, and he was rejected. Why? The answer is the cross. The answer to that question lies at the foot of the cross. Jesus was rejected because instead of choosing the path to popular leadership, he chose the road to Calvary. He did not want the approval of the masses. He chose instead to offer those same masses of people salvation. Hallelujah. He chose the cross over the glamour of popular acclaim. He chose to give his own body and his own blood for the salvation of the human race. Hallelujah. And since that time, Calvary has borne an ugly stigma. It's popular to wear a cross around your neck as jewelry. It's popular to use a cross to decorate a church. And these crosses remind us of the work of Christ. It's a beautiful symbol, but still there is a stigma to it. 
You don't see many people today that are sensible and normal walking around with an electric chair replica dangling from a necklace around their neck. The cross of Christ, the, the cross was one of the cruelest forms of capital punishment ever known to man. And in this particular message, I don't wish to get into a, a descriptive process of this, but it, it, it's a beautiful symbol in that it represents our salvation, our redemption, our victory in life, but there is a stigma to it. The cross brings with it also a reproach. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is Matthew 16 in your Bible, verses 24 and 25. Let's read it again. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Taking up one's cross here refers to and speaks of death. But miracle of miracles, out of that death comes newness of life. Out of the reproach comes the glory. This is what baffles and puzzles the world. Out of death springs forth newness of life, and out of reproach comes victory and glory, and it all centers up in the cross. In the cross. In the cross. In the days of Roman crucifixion, one did not pick up a cross to march in a parade. One only picked up a cross to bear it to his place of execution. Jesus has borne his cross and borne it well. His work is completed. He does not ask us to pick up his cross. He asks us to pick up ours. And this is why the cross still bears such a stigma today. We as believers must take up our cross in order to follow Christ. Taking up that cross may not be pleasant or easy, but it is necessary. In some parts of the church world today, we don't even like to talk about the cross anymore. I heard of one particular incident where someone had said that the cross, we, we don't preach the cross anymore in our circles, and we don't talk about the cross anymore because that's past miseries, and we are on into greater things. We are out beyond the cross today. Let me tell you this. If you're out beyond the cross, you're backslidden. If you're out beyond the cross, you've gone way too far because the cross of Christ and the cross that he expects us to pick up and carry daily is, is the place of victory. 
It's the place where the rubber meets the road. It's the place where faith is birthed and accomplishments are settled in heaven forever. Hallelujah to God. The cross of Jesus Christ. I want to give you some reasons why the cross carries such a stigma to it. First of all, the cross is a place of separation. When we take up our cross to follow Christ, we are separated from everything. I mean, that cross separates us from everything. There are certain decisions that we must now make that we didn't want to make before. There are certain unpopular stances and, and positions that we must take as a result of the cross. The cross separated Jesus from his family and his friends. He hung on the cross. They didn't. The cross that we bear will have the same effect. If we follow Christ and place our lives totally at his disposal, we may be separated from our family, our friends, even sometimes certain Christians may feel the need within themselves to withdraw from us as they see us taking up our cross and maybe they don't want to go there. And maybe they don't think that we should go there. And yet God has told us that we must go there. The cross might separate us from our most prized possessions because the cross is a place of separation. This separation has and is a very positive thing. It's not a negative. Now, I know right away most people would think of this as a negative. I preach it all the time. <coughs> Excuse me. That we must be separated from the world. We, we don't live like the world. We don't act like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't think like the world. We don't dress like the world. We don't do like the world does. We don't march to their drumbeat. Praise God. We don't sing their tune. Hallelujah. And that's not negative. That's positive. I mean, who wants the alcohol, the drugs, the AIDS, the addiction? I mean, who wants all that mess anyway? Who wants bitter divorce and, and negative circumstances and abused children and disease and famine? Who wants the mess? Hallelujah. And thanks be to God today, it's the cross that separates us from that garbage. Hallelujah. It's the death of the cross that separates man from his sin nature. Every single human person listening at me right now, within yourself is the propensity to sin. And there's only one way that you can be free of that propensity to sin that sin nature there's only one way that you can be delivered from it and it's the cross glory be to god and that's a good thing that's a positive thing that's a joyous thing hallelujah separation the cross is a place of separation not only may we face separation from the things that we have held dear but we also experience a divine separation 
from the power of sin. Hallelujah to God forever. The Lord Jesus Christ, in dying for us, bore all of our sins in his body on the tree. And even more, he took upon himself our inherited sinful nature. That thing which we inherited from Adam because of the fall was nailed to the cross with Christ. That, that old man, the Bible calls it, that old nature, the sin nature, that which Adam brought into this world in the Garden of Eden when he and Eve fell, they fell out of the grace of God, but wait. It seemed as if they had doomed humanity forever and forever to live a life of sin, to be controlled and dominated by sin, and then die and go to a fiery devil's hell. It seemed that that was to be the lot of man. But at the cross of Christ, glory be to God, at the cross of Christ, we were delivered from the grip, the stranglehold of sin. We were delivered from the sin nature. Hallelujah. Now, wait a minute. Why, then, do so many people today that are Christians, that are saved, that are born again and washed in the blood, why do they sin? You see, the sin nature was defeated but not eradicated. And when a believer sins... It's tantamount to pouring gasoline on the smoldering embers of what was once a bonfire, and it reignites the flame. And the only way that a person, that a believer, the only way that a believer can stay free from the grip of sin is to put their faith in the cross. Now that's it. You see, we stay in the same way we got in. A lot of, a lot of Christians running all over the world today asking, how can I have victory? A particular problem in their life, how can I have victory? How can I stay separated from the world? Separated from the sinful nature? How do I walk in victory? The same way you got saved. By faith. By faith in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Glory to God. Glory to God. That's the power of the separation that this cross produces. I look at it this way. Now, there's many ways one can look at it. I've been studying the cross until, you know, sometimes I don't think I can read another word. I, I just read everything I can get my hands on it and, and listen to messages. And, and just, I enjoy studying the cross because it's everything. There was and there is on the unsaved world a double curse today. A double curse. 
the penalty of sin and the grip of sin. Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary provided the double cure for the double curse. Hallelujah. He not only paid the penalty for sin, he paid a debt he did not owe. He paid our debt that we could not pay. That if you today will come to Christ, hallelujah, the penalty of your sin is paid for by Calvary, by the precious shed blood of the Lamb. But he did a little more. I'm glad he did much more, much more. The scripture says much more. He not only paid the penalty of my sin, he broke the grip of my sin over my life as well. Praise the name of Jesus. To where now I can live by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can live in total, absolute freedom from the sin nature as I put my faith in the cross of Jesus Christ that he has done a finished work completed work he has paid the penalty and broke the grip praise God it's the double cure for the double curse that was hanging over my life hallelujah so I stay victorious the same way I got saved and I don't have to try to make up my own way I, you know you can't save yourself well neither can you keep yourself in victory you must look to the cross and that cross has the power resident within it to separate us from the world. To separate us from the sin nature. To separate us from the flesh. And to separate us from every power of the devil. Hallelujah to God. I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that. And that's where our faith must be anchored. Our faith is not to be anchored in our faith. Did you hear that? Modern church of the 1990s. Our faith is not to be anchored in our faith. Our faith is to be directed and anchored in the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah to God forevermore. The cross is a place of separation when we follow Jesus to the cross the stranglehold that sin once held upon our lives is broken just as our acceptance of Christ has separated us from the eternal penalty of sin our willingness to take up our cross and to follow after him separates us from the power of sin for you see Calvary is a place of separation and secondly, the cross is a place of desertion. I want you to notice this. When Jesus Christ was handing out food, healing sick people, raising the dead, there were masses of people that thronged about him. But by the time he reached Calvary, most of them had deserted him. At Calvary, his enemies far outnumbered his friends. Even the disciples who had walked with him so closely fled in fear. 
those who would truly be Christ's disciples should expect desertion. I know, I know, that's, that's not popular nowadays, but it's true. Those who do not understand the message of Christ and those who understand the message but reject it will desert the one who goes to the cross with our Lord. You know, there's an old, old song that says, Should Jesus bear that cross alone and all the world go free? My God, Calvary, a place of desertion. And thirdly, the cross is a place of misunderstanding. Many people avoid it for this reason. Jesus' own mother could not understand the cross. She stood weeping at the cross. Peter did not understand it. He cut off the ear of one man who tried to take Jesus to the cross. You remember the story. Calvary is a place of misunderstanding. When we are genuinely saved and take up our cross to follow Christ, we're going to be misunderstood. Some of our best friends, some of our kin relatives, some of our closest and most intimate associates will not understand us anymore when we want to take up our cross and follow Christ. Many times they won't understand why that we will no longer desire the things of this world. I've noticed this in my own heart and life in the past several months as, I've, as the Lord has had me studying the cross. But I have almost no desire left for big houses, for fancy clothes, for fancy automobiles. I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying that I've been to the cross and I have no desire for those things. If the Lord chooses to bless me with something fine, well and good, wonderful, but my desire is souls. My desire is to preach the message of the cross to a lost and dying and hurting world, to see people saved by the blood of Christ, to see them set free healed and delivered by the mighty power of the cross. And there's a lot of people that don't understand me anymore. They've told me that. I, we don't understand you anymore. I mean, don't you want to get a boat so you can go out on the boat and take the family and we can all go out there and have fellowship together and fish and, and that stuff's not wrong. It's not wrong to do. But my affection is not on those things. And Lord knows if I had the three or $4,000 that it would take to buy a boat, I'd probably build a church somewhere. I'd probably, put it, I'd probably throw it in an offering somewhere in the Philippines or in China or somewhere to help build a work that will impact the world for the kingdom of God. Why? Because I've been to the cross. I have seen, thank God I have, the death of selfish ambition. And I have awakened unto righteousness by the grace of Almighty God to serve Him in these last days in which we're living. 
It's not wrong to have things. Don't misunderstand, Brother Paxton, today. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to have a Lincoln. It's not wrong to wear a Rolex. If you got one, brother, wear it. Amen? If someone gives you one, receive it. Glory be to God. If you want to buy one, buy it. Hallelujah. It's not wrong. But I'm telling you that if you choose not to do it, because you've been to the cross and you've seen a vision of the Lord, there's going to be people that will misunderstand you. Get ready for it. Because the cross is a place of misunderstanding. The unregenerate man, the man who has not been washed in the blood of Christ, cannot understand what the cross represents. To him, it's a mystery, a place of misunderstanding. And fourthly, the cross is a place of ridicule. It was at Calvary where the priests sneered at Jesus. They sneered at him. Crowds gathered to watch him die. They wagged their heads and mocked him, saying, If you could tear down the temple and raise it in three days, why don't you come down from the cross, Jesus? They didn't understand. He was not supposed to come down from that cross because he was purchasing. He was redeeming the souls of men. Most of us don't like ridicule. And for that reason, we stay away from Calvary. We might be willing to accept the salvation that Jesus gives, but we are not willing to take up our cross and follow him to the place of crucifixion. But Jesus could not have saved the world without Calvary. There could be no holy communion without Calvary. There could be no life, no strength, no edification no joy, no peace, no power without Calvary. And likewise, we cannot be true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ without going to Calvary ourselves in our own way, our own personal lives. And that trip to Calvary will include ridicule. Cruel soldiers that day cursed Jesus and the elite priest, dressed in the finest of garments, laughed at him. Some Christians in the church today couldn't stand that. If someone were to accuse us of being fanatics or holy rollers, or old-fashioned, or odd or strange, or bizarre or weird, we would fall all to pieces because we can't stand ridicule but the cross is a place of ridicule. Many, to avoid ridicule, run to some church that's cold as an iceberg, dead as a sepulcher, and they sit there week after week and month after month and year after year among the dead. Because Calvary place of ridicule and ridicule is more than many believers can endure but this is not what God wants from us Jesus bore ridicule Jesus endured to the end 
And God expects us to bear our own cross and follow him even if the path is one of ridicule. Nextly, the cross is a place of humiliation. There is no pride at Calvary. There he hung. There hangs the bleeding Son of God, stripped naked, hanging there exposed to a watching world. There's no pride at Calvary. The executioners divested Jesus of everything he had. They hung him before the masses, and while he was hanging there, they gambled for his cloak. Humiliation is a part of bearing the cross. Before we can be truly effective for Christ, before we can be his disciples, we must realize that there is nothing in us worthy of God's grace. There's nothing in us that's worthy. We are only worthy because he has made us, glory to God, worthy. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. But thanks be to God, he that knew no sin became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. And man, that's the position where I want to remain is in him. In him. In him. The cross is a place of humiliation. We must realize that our pride is totally without basis. There's not one of us, not a one of us that can save ourselves. Not a one of us that can heal anybody. Not a one of us that can deliver anybody. Not a one of us that can bless anybody. And the salvation and the blessing and the healing and the prosperity, all of it comes through Calvary. And Jesus hung there humiliated. He endured the shame, the Bible says. There's a scripture that tells us that through his poverty, we become rich. What does that mean? Was Jesus poverty-ridden? Not necessarily, but he was compared to where he came from. He left heaven. You talk about riches. Now, heaven's rich. You talk about splendor and glory. It's, it's there. And he left that place. That was his poverty. He came to here, to this dirty, sinful, wicked world, to walk among the likes of you and me. Sinful, rebellious, unregenerate man. Why did he do it? John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world. Uh, hallelujah. It's not so much that God loved the terra firma. It's, it's not so much that God was in love with the crust of the earth. Oh, no. He loved the phalassa, the people of the world. He loved people so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on 
him. See, don't look to me. Don't set a preacher or a denomination or a fellowship. Don't set relationships up on some type of a holy pedestal. Look to Jesus Christ because he's the one that paid the price. He's the one that did it. And all blessing, all help, all strength, all prosperity, all healing, all deliverance, all victory over sin and purity within, hallelujah, comes through the cross of Christ. And he hung there, humiliated, enduring to the end, despising the shame for you and for me. Praise God. Sometimes people must be publicly humiliated before coming to this realization. Jesus could have called ten thousands of angels from heaven to hide his nakedness and rescue him from his place of humiliation, but he did not. He allowed himself to become a public spectacle. Now he calls upon us to follow him there. I'll say it again, church, I know it's not a popular word for the hour, but if you are going to follow Jesus Christ in your life, the first place he's going to take you is Calvary. He calls us to follow him to the cross. It's not that God wants us to be humiliated. It's not that he wants us to be ridiculed or misunderstood or deserted or separated from the things that we love. No, 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 that's not it. But nevertheless, God wants us to be as willing to bear humiliation as Christ was. Sometimes the way of the cross is a humiliating path. Sometimes our stand for God might require the payment of a devastating price. But when we face such humiliation, we should realize that Christ faced it also. If the Son of God, pure and perfect, could face the humiliation of being executed with the wicked, then we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, should be able to bear the humiliation that comes into our lives as well. You see, the reason that it's that way, God does not want to withhold from us. He does not want to withhold anything from us. He doesn't want us to be humiliated and ashamed and, and all of that. But we live under a different kingdom. We live under a different system than this world does. This completes side one. Please turn the tape over for the conclusion.